voices join as one and fill the earth with singing. Glory to our God, his greatness we applaud. Let every race on every shore proclaim the glory of the Lord. Hello? I'm on the wrong... Oh, you guys have this on again. Don't turn this on for me, please. Let me turn it on. Thank you. 
I appreciate that. They're always worried that I'm going to slip out of here and talk to somebody or use a restroom or something with this on. They're, they're looking after me. The only problem is I get confused, as you could tell earlier in the service. After two weeks now, I still can't say, you may be seated, right? Because we changed the schedule around. And so when the cha- schedule got changed, well, my whole world just fell apart, all right? They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, I'm working on it, okay? I'm working on it. First uh, Peter chapter 1, First Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Three reasons we know our salvation is secure. Three reasons we know our salvation is secure. We're going to try to move quickly through a brief summary, and then I want to get to our final portion of the series. Next week is going to be a big week, as we have, of course, our uh, 25th anniversary. And along with the 25th anniversary, we've got two... I mean, just tremendous speakers that will be with us, and uh, we're, we're looking forward to it. Uh, we have Brother Sam Davison, of course, and uh, he was the uh, uh, pastor of a church out in Oklahoma City that was just bursting at the seams, was the head of a Bible college there, running four to 600 students between his tenure. Uh, he's the kind of guy that knows every single name of every student. He literally knows every name of every student. And he doesn't have to look at a list. He, he can just see them and say their names, talk to them. He's an amazing man. He's an amazing mind. And you are going to be encouraged by his preaching next week. In the morning service, however, we're going to have Brother Pauly, a fellow by the name of Brother Pauly. He's about, I'd say, 40, 45-ish, right in that range. He's not that awfully old, but he has a tremendous amount of experience. He was, at one point, working on the staff at a church down in Powell, Tennessee, with a fellow by the name of Dr. Sexton. He helped to really played a major role in the college down there, Crown College. And uh, he just uh, uh, was a tremendous asset to that ministry. And now he's in evangelism, traveling around the country. We, tra- we booked these two men five years ago. That's how busy these guys are. Now listen, I'm telling you, you will be blessed. You need to put it on your calendar to be here next Sunday to be a part of that. Not only are we going to have a wonderful service at 11 o'clock here celebrating 25 years, but then we're also going to have a service at 2 o'clock. You say, what are we going to do between times? We're going to be eating. All right? We're actually going to pay for it. You don't have to bring any money unless you'd like to just donate something to my cause, my memory cause. No, I'm teasing. But anyway... I'm going to need some vitamins for the mind. I don't know. But uh, the fact is, is that we're going to have a wonderful lunch prepared for you. And we want to just enjoy the 25th anniversary together and just celebrate it together and have a wonderful time. And so we're going to have our service at 11. Brother Paulie will be preaching. And then we're going to have, uh, brother, by the way, Brother Davison will be teaching at the 10 o'clock hour here in the service. So if you're interested in hearing him early on, get here at 10. Here, listen to him. It'll be well worth it. Then at 11, Brother Polly, and then we'll have our lunch. And then at 2 o'clock, we're going to have a service. I mean, a, as they used to say, a wing-dinger. You ever hear that term? Okay. Yeah, some of you are too, uh, old, too young to know that one. But we're going to have a wing-dinger that day. We're going to have both of them preaching that afternoon. And I'm telling you what, we're going to have a great time. We want you to plan on being with us all day Sunday. We'll be out of here probably around, I mean, realistically, it'll probably be about four because I'm going to give these guys some time to preach. I didn't bring them all the way in so that we could just say hello to them. I want to hear what God has to say 
through them. So we're excited about that. Why don't you come be a part of that next week? Already plan on it. Just put it on your calendar and be here next week. Bring somebody with you even. It'll be well worth it. It'll be well worth their time. All right, well, 1 Peter chapter 1. Notice what it says in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We learned about the writer, and the writer, of course, is Peter. Well, we know, actually, that the writer's God, and he's using Peter as an instrument, of course. But nonetheless, this particular Peter is the one who ultimately would, 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 would deny the Lord Jesus Christ, but it wouldn't be very long after he repented that God was using him now to preach a message to thousands of people in Jerusalem where 3,000 were saved, added to the church. I mean to tell you, it was an amazing time. They were saved, baptized, and added to the church all at one time. 3,000. Can you imagine a service like that? Nonetheless, Peter, this Peter goes on to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, he understood a little bit about persecution too. The, the, the world did not appreciate his message. They didn't like the fact that he spoke of a resurrected Christ. But Peter continued to remain steadfast and unmovable, and he preached the word of God. Although it landed him in jail, although it caused him to be beaten, maligned and mistreated on so many occasions, he remained steadfast and unmovable. So Peter's writing now. And the Bible tells us here that he, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ is writing to the strangers scattered throughout basically Asia Minor. So now he's writing to this group that's scattered. And of course we know from the passage that it's dealing with those that had been that that are strangers he says. They're not fitting into the world like they ought to. These aren't just Jews. These are also Gentile believers. And now they're believers in Christ. And as a believer in Christ, they they don't believe like the world believes anymore. They don't see things from through the eyes of the world. They see it through the eyes of Scripture and through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they don't seem to fit in wherever they're at. It doesn't matter where they live. It doesn't matter what they do. They just, there's something unique and something different about these believers. So the idea is that they're simply strangers. They're sojourners in a land. Although they're trying to do their best to fit in, they're trying to do their best to to be a part of, they also, the world around them recognizes the difference in their life, their attitude, and their outlook. Unfortunately, as a result, they're experiencing some true atrocities in their life, their families. Hostility toward Christianity is growing. Persecution is multiplying. And these that are now scattered abroad, these strangers in these lands are finding themselves as believers being persecuted and at the wrong end of harmful things. So Peter's writing them. He's seeking to encourage them. And he's going to let them know something very important. That although they may be strangers in the world, (laughs) 
they are not strangers to God. They may be scattered throughout Asia Minor. They may be the victims of growing hostility, but God knew who they were and God knows where they are. And as a result, he goes on to remind these believers of the the grace of God, the peace that was at their disposal, the supply that God was able to give to them in the midst of this most chaotic and confusing time in their lives. And so we arrived at verse 3. And we noted it said, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Boy, I'll tell you, when you're in the midst of persecution, I'm sure you need some hope. I got to believe that when you're finding your family being torn out of the home and daddy's being hauled off to jail, I got to believe that as a wife with little children now, without anyone to support them, you need some hope. And so Peter goes on to give them that hope, and he states to them that we have a hope. And it is a lively hope. And the fact is, is that although this may be taking place all around you, there's more to life than just living today. There's an eternity that awaits us. And he says there is a living hope. And it is guaranteed us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That because Christ raised from the dead, so will we. Because the grave had no power over the Lord Jesus, the grave has no power over us. The government may be able to take your life. The government may be able to squelch your, 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 your existence, but it cannot take away your soul, your spirit, your living soul. You'll live with God forever. And as bad as it may be getting in the culture in which they lived, there was a God who said, listen, you have a living hope. And that hope exists long after the grave. Then we arrived at verse 4, and Peter goes on to say, listen, um, you not only have this lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, but you have it to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and it fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. We had a, I, I, not only do we have a glorious resurrection that points to the fact that we are saved and secure forever, not, but we also have a guaranteed reservation that says the same thing. I mean, that inheritance includes New Jerusalem, as we spoke of last week. I mean, sin will all be banished from its streets. Its walls will, made, will be made of jasper, its gates of pearl, and its streets of gold. Its foundations are ablaze with precious gems, and Christ will be at the center of that city. That inheritance which Peter speaks of, he says, is reserved in heaven for you. And that word reserved, as we saw last week, means to be watched over. Not only guarded, kept, and preserved, but to be watched over. We can know that our salvation is secure. Because the very moment that we believe, the very moment we put our personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are given a guaranteed reservation. This morning, we want to move forward to verse 5, though. And we want to note another reason that we know our salvation is secure. Again, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
You know, many believers war with the idea that their salvation is secure. You know, they struggle with this truth of eternal life. Well, I believe in Jesus Christ, and there came a time in my life where I recognized myself a sinner, and I trusted and received the Lord, but you don't know some of the things I've thought and done since. I mean, could God possibly allow me into heaven? Would God possibly allow me to remain safe if indeed, the, I mean, based on how I've responded, based on how I've reacted, I can't believe God would allow me to still be part of his family and still have that reservation. Well, I want you to know that according to this passage, you and I are kept by the power of God. See, that word used for kept it, it, it implies and it speaks of or means that the, the action is still going on. See, we are kept this moment. We are kept tomorrow. We are kept next week. We are kept next month. We are kept next year. We are kept right on through. In verse 4, he states that we have a reservation. It's reserved in heaven for you. And now in verse 5, he states that we are kept by the power of God. So here's the question. Kept by the power of God for what? The answer, for that place that's reserved for us. I am happy to tell you today, and this is a wonderful thought. Listen to this thought for a moment. I'm happy to tell you that not only is our inheritance being kept for us, but we are being kept for it. I mean, do you get that? I want you to think about this. A house is just a house without a family living in it. But you put people in the house, it becomes a home. And whether the believer, I mean, without the believer in this new Jerusalem, the city that one day will exist, that God is presently working on, without the believer there, it would simply be a city. But our presence makes it the Lamb's Bride. See, not only is our inheritance being kept for us, but we also are being kept for it. So it's not just this new Jerusalem. It's not just this existence and the millennium and long after that we have to look forward to, but we are a part of it as much as it's a part of what we now possess. According to the passage, again, we're in a constant state of being kept. It refers, it, 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 I mean, how is that happening? Well, by God's power, the power of God, he says. That's how you're being kept. That's how I'm being kept, by God's power. And that word for power in that passage is the word dynamis. And often you've probably heard that. It's kind of a word that often refers to dynamite, but it refers to God's unlimited and unhindered power. It's saying that you are kept by the unlimited and unhindered power of God. Amen. And, and, and how do we know this? By faith. Because once again in the passage, he, he clearly states that, that this is an aspect of faith. He says, who are kept by the power of God through faith. We have this assurance. We have this confidence. Because we are being kept. Kept how? By the power of God. Through faith. We believe this to be the case. We know this to be the case. Our salvation is, it not only provides us the promise of the present, 
but also the prospect of tomorrow. According to Peter, this salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. And what we understand salvation to be, it, 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 it has it, or encompasses three different tenses this salvation does. The salvation that we receive at the moment of accepting Christ has three tenses. First of all, in 2 Corinthians, turn there, would you? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, we read a passage and it says, Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver? Now I believe that that has a very practical, it has a very uh, a time-related element there. I'm sure that Paul, when he's speaking, he's clearly stating that in the present, he's serving a God who delivered them from so great a death, doth deliver, and in whom... He trusts that in the future we'll deliver again. But I want you to understand that every scripture has an inspirational application. And may I say that this one points to the believer's faith in Christ. And in this particular case, he's saying, listen, that salvation that you possess is in three tenses. First of all, who delivered us from so great a death. It's talking about as to the past, referring to the past. It cancels all of our sins because of Calvary. It cancels the penalty of sin as well. Not only that, but he goes on to say, and doth deliver, dealing with the present, right now, where we live. The past, yes, the present indeed. As to the present, by means of the indwelling Spirit of God, Christ lives in me through the person of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, the Holy Spirit deals with my sin in the present. It gives me victory over sin, allows me to overcome sin even in my life. This salvation is in action. It's, it's functioning as we speak. Not only does it address my past, but it deals with my present. But not only that, he says, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Speaking of the future here, he's saying you can anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. There's an anticipation and ultimately a very end to pr the, the presence of sin itself one day. When will that take place? when nothing that is defiled is permitted in the city, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, when the fact is, is that we will dwell and live with God forever and ever in this new Jerusalem and this new universe that he will one day create. The very presence of sin. So our salvation today is in three tenses. First of all, if you've been saved, it has addressed your past. It is also addressing your present. And it is also in dealing with your future. My friend, salvation is not something that you have to keep. It's something that God keeps for you. So we are kept. We are kept. And that's a wonderful thing. I don't know about my salvation. I wonder whether or not I'm really still saved. I believe I got saved as a kid. I believe I got saved as a teenager. I believe I got saved three years ago. But my life hasn't lived up to that billing. And may I say that's, that's a tragedy. But if you must understand that it's not up to you to keep it. And I know we're going to talk a little bit, and I'll give you a couple of thoughts here in just a moment, but 
I know, I know how easy it is to start to question whether or not you're saved once you've been saved, if indeed you don't understand these principles. But our salvation, we've been bought and we've been purchased by the blood of Christ. Our salvation is secure today. Not only is it secure, as we mentioned already, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only is it secure, as we mentioned already, because we've been given a reservation, but it's secure because we are kept by the power of God. So, in light of the fact that we are kept by the power of God, I want to share three statements to provoke thought and promote confidence this morning. So let's have a quick word of prayer, and it will take just a few moments and do that. Father, bless us today. We need you. We love you, and we ask for your leadership. If there be any that are without Christ or questioning their salvation, may they settle it. We ask, Lord, that if there be those that are believers that have strayed and allowed sin to take a foothold in their life, may you and your spirit bring conviction to them, and may they root out that sin and confess it, forsake it, and place you back on the throne of their life. We desperately need you this morning. Do your work in our hearts. Fill me now with your spirit and fill these people as well. We need you, Lord Jesus, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so in light of this fact that we're kept by the power of God, I want to make three statements. Here they are. Number one, if we, excuse me, we are kept by the power of God, therefore, if we could be lost, it would be because God wasn't strong enough to keep us. We are kept by the power of God, the Bible says. So if we could be lost, it would be because God wasn't strong enough to keep us. Again, it has to be remembered who we're dealing with here. You got to keep in mind that we're speaking about God today. We're speaking about God who created all things. We're talking about the God of heaven and earth, the God who hung the stars in place, that placed the earth on its axis. We're talking about the one who divided the light from the day and the land from the sea. We're talking about God who formed man of the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. We're talking about a God who supernaturally delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, who provided a means of escape and enabled them to go through the wilderness, feeding them and clothing them and caring for them for 40 years. A God who defeated all their enemies and ultimately brought them into the promised land. We're talking about a God who, while on this earth, healed the brokenhearted, set the captive free, made the lame to walk again, and caused the blind to see. We're kept by His power. A young boy was traveling by airplane to visit his grandparents, and he sat beside a man who happened to be a seminary professor, and the boy was reading a Sunday school paper that he had had, and the professor, he thought that he'd have a little fun with the little boy, and so he said, hey, young man, if you can tell me something God can do, if you can tell me something God can do, I'm going to give you a big, shiny red apple. <laughs> the boy thought for a moment, and he said, mister... If you can tell me something God can't do, I'll give you the whole barrel of apples. 
Let me tell you something. Little boy understood a truth and a principle that many times even believers fail to understand. When we start to question and we start to wonder whether or not God can keep his promises, whether he's strong enough to do what he says, my friend, I want you to know that we are kept by the power of God, not our own power. We're not kept by our church affiliation or our ancestry. We're not kept by our effort of any kind. We are kept by the power of God. God blessed me and my wife with four children. And today they're all grown up, or at least mostly grown up. I'm not talking about mentally, I'm talking about physically. (laughs) I tell you, I tell my kids all the time, never grow up. I tell you, this idea, I'm an adult so I can't laugh, can't have fun. You're crazy. Life's too short not to be a kid. At least sometimes, right? But they're, they're grown up. They're living on their own. But for a number of years, I put food in their bellies, clothes on their backs, and a roof over their heads. You know, they were never responsible to keep themselves. I kept them. I kept them. Even when they disobeyed and even when they found themselves in trouble, guess what? I continued to keep them. I cared for them. I put food on the table. I put clothes on their back. I put a roof over their head. I did those things. It didn't matter what they did. I know what I needed to do. As God's child, I want you to know that you're not expected to keep yourself either. And your keeping isn't dependent upon your response to his goodness. That's why it's called grace. So it's unmerited favor. I'm not saying that you have a license to go out and live however you choose. I'm not saying that God doesn't care whether you continue to sin and, and, and feed the flesh or whether you serve him. He does care, and it does matter. But my friend, I want you to realize when it comes to your salvation, when it comes to your eternal life, it is not about you doing anything. It's about everything he's already done. We are kept by the power of God. Number two, let me ask this, state this other one now. If we are kept by the power of God, since, excuse me, we are kept by the power of God, therefore, if we could be lost, it would be because God's hand wasn't sure enough to hold us. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Look at verse 27. John chapter 10, verse 27. Probably a somewhat familiar passage for those that have been in church for a long time. If you haven't been, this may be the first time you're reading it, but an encouraging passage, a passage of exhortation. Notice what it says in John 20, 10, excuse me, John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. See, the believer is pictured as being held in the hand of God. And and may I say that hand is extremely secure. They are held securely in that hand. Now, I need a a child to come up. Um, I'll tell you what. um, Let me get a child who would like to help me out. Is there a child here that's a little younger? Uh, 
Yeah, come on up, honey. I've got some uh, Tootsie Rolls for you if you can. Possibly. Yeah, come on up. Hurry up. Don't, don't dawdle. Hurry up. Let's go. You volunteer. Don't, don't act lazy now. All right. Kari. This is Kari. Now, Kari, listen. Here's what I want you to do. I've got this, this candy for you, all right? And um, it's yours. But you've got to get it out of my hands. Go ahead. My hands are what? No, strong, you mean. All right, go ahead and try that one. Maybe that one's easier. No, that one's even worse, isn't it? That one's like iron. All right, that, that's good. I would you go be seated. Sorry you don't get the candy. No, here you go, honey. I'm teasing. Here you go. All right, now listen, I, I just wanted to illustrate something for a moment. You know, Kari was trying the very best she could, but you want to know something? You know why she couldn't get the candy? Because it was in my hands. And of course, my hands are like steel. Right. Right. Hey, hold on a second. Somebody out there is going, well, I guarantee you, if you let me come up, I could have pulled your hands apart. And you know what? You very well could have. That's fi- that you very well could have. But let me tell you something. We're not dealing with my hands. We're not even dealing with your hand. We're dealing with God's hand. And the Bible tells us there in the passage, it simply tells us that, listen, we're, we're in his hands and my Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. And somebody says, well, I could jump out. He may, no one may be able to take me out of his hand, but if I want to jump out, oh yeah, you're stronger than the hand too. Let me ask you, is there a, was there any way that candy was coming out of my hand as long as I held it securely? No, not at all. I don't like this hand, says the candy. Who cares? You're already in it. I'm just saying today, you're not, it's, it's, this has nothing to do with you. If we could be lost, then it would mean that God's hand wasn't secure enough to hold us. We are kept by the power of God. And finally, number three, let me just share this one with you. We are kept by the power of God. Therefore, if we could be lost, it would be because God's word wasn't sure enough to save us. Because, see, it's his word that says we're kept. Not by our power, but by his power. When G. Campbell Morgan was a young man, he, he invited two elderly ladies each week to read from the Bible. To re, uh, excuse me, he He visited two elderly ladies each week to read the Bible to them. And when he read Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, that says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He said, isn't that a wonderful promise? One of the ladies quickly said, young man, that's not a promise. It's a fact. I think that you could say that they're actually promises are facts. But she had figured it out. She had figured it out. She realized that when God says something, that makes it so. I mean, it was a fact. It's not just something obscure. It's not just a promise of God. It's a fact. And the Bible tells us that we are kept by the power of God, that our salvation is secure by him, that we're safely in his hand. 
That he with all his power and all his might, the very might that created the entire universe, is at his disposal and it keeps us. That's a fact. Psalm chapter 119 verse 160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. It goes on in John 17, 17, the Bible says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Psalm 19, verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18 says, For verily I say unto, the, unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. In 1985, for the first time in more than 50 years, Congress authorized the issue of official U.S. government gold coins. Beginning in 1986, these new coins came on the market. Each of the coins, these, they called them American Eagles, was guaranteed by the U.S. Mint to contain the stated amount of pure 22-karat gold. For instance, they came in one-tenth, one-quarter, one-half, and one-ounce sizes but they were 22 karat gold. And the buyers from around the world trusted these coins because they trusted the promise of the United States government that the coins were what they claimed to be. The government said, this is what they are. And you know what people said? You know what? The government at that point, we can trust it. If it says it's 22 karat gold, then I'm going to go ahead and buy a coin and I know exactly what it's going to be worth. Because they trusted the government. They trusted the American government at that time. You know, when it comes to Scripture, we have something far more reliable than the guarantee of a government. We have the promises of Almighty God. And we have that promise that in His Word, which is perfect and pure, that we are being kept by the power of God. Someone says, I just struggle with knowing for sure I'm saved. I, there's some things I think of, think about sometimes. There's things I've done. There's, there's, I, I just, I, I feel like I let God down. I know. And you know what? You need to work at that and you need to strive to please God with your life. I get that. But my friend, your salvation isn't based on your ability to conform to his standard. It is based on the fact that the standard died in your stead. Psalm chapter 12, verse 7 affirms, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Speaking of the word of God. He says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Proverbs 30, verse 5. We are kept by the power of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Boy, God is strong today. His hand is secure and his word is sure. You can go ahead and live your life with doubts and questions. No one can give you the confidence you need but the Lord Jesus and your relationship with him.
But I want you to know you can believe God's word. Do you know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? I mean, have you really settled that? Have you secured in your mind that reality? Has there been a time, a place when you can point to and say, I know without a doubt that Christ Jesus came into my life. I invited him in my life. I trusted him as Lord. He is my Savior today. Maybe, maybe there's doubt in your life. What are you doubting? Are you doubting the sincerity of your decision at the point of salvation? Or are you doubting the power that can keep you? God's power. Which is it? Someone says, well, I just question whether or not I really meant business with God. Then you better start asking the right question. And all you need to do is go to the Lord and say, Lord... Honestly, I don't know for sure in my heart. I I did what the Bible says to the best of my bill, or at least as far as I know, but I'm not convinced that I did it the way I ought to. I'm not sure that I had the right motivation. I'm not sure that I really understood what I was doing. And I can't say without a doubt that I'm on my way to heaven. I can't say for sure that I'm saved, born again. I can't say for sure that I have that reservation because there's this doubt in my life as to whether or not I meant business with you. You need to go to God and say, God, if I'm not a child of God, if I am not saved, you make it as clear as a bell. You tell me flat out, settle it, deal with it right now. The devil may cause you to doubt, but he will never tell you to get saved. He may cause you or try to get you to doubt your salvation, but he will never tell you to get saved. So if you ever hear a voice telling you to settle your salvation, that's not the devil talking to you, friend. That's the Holy Spirit of God saying, you better get it handled. I wonder today, do you know for sure heaven's your home? And if you are indeed a child of God already, how does this confidence that you can have, how does this truth, these these facts that you're kept by God, that it's all his grace, his mercy, How does that motivate you to live your life on behalf of him? Does it facilitate a life of dedication? Does it motivate you to be presented unto him, to do as he chooses and pleases with your life? Or do you find yourself still holding on to pieces and parts of your own life? Maybe your own desires, your own goals. Won't you just say, you know what, Lord? for you to pay that price for me, for you to give to me such a valuable inheritance. I'll give you my life today completely. To know what I have to look forward to, how can I do anything but live my life in gratitude to you? And I do that by giving you everything you bought and paid for on the cross. And that's me and my body even. That's my all. It's yours Thank you. Today, if you're a believer, why don't you just present yourself to him without conditions, totally yielded, presenting yourself wholeheartedly to him, the rightful owner of you and your body. And if you don't know salvation's yours, why don't you settle it before it's eternally too late? 
We're not guaranteed tomorrow. All we have is right now. Father, we come to you.